Sam had just started attending a new church. And while he was there, he met an older couple, probably nearly 90 years old. And they were such a nice couple, he wanted to get to know them a little better. And so Sam invites John, this senior adult man, and his wife over for dinner. And Sam is so impressed with how John treats his wife. He's kind, he's thoughtful, and he calls her all these pet names like honey deer and sweet potato, and it's just like syrupy sweet, like you guys do, right? So anyway, Sam is so impressed with John Whenever they get ready to go, uh, Sam kind of pulls John over to the side and says, I am so impressed with the way you speak to your wife. You call her all of these pet names. In fact, I never really even heard you call her by her, her real name. And John says, I have a confession to make. I forgot my wife's name three years ago, and for the life of me, I don't have the nerve to ask her again. Got any forgetful people in the room? I had to ask my wife Monique's name, I got it now, four, no, five times before I ever remembered it. When we went on our honeymoon and we got back to Jackson, Missouri, where we lived, I pulled into the Burger King. How many of you know the honeymoon's over when you pull into the Burger King? I pulled into the drive-thru at the Burger King, and I was very careful with my order. I wanted a Whopper Junior, no mayonnaise, ordered fries, and a Coke to drink. And I made it very clear to the person on the other end of the speaker. And I got done ordering, and the lady asked, "Um, is there anything else you would like? I thought for a second. I said, no, I think I'm good. Monique, my wife, is sitting next to me. She says, you want to order for me? It's amazing that she married me. First date, went to a funeral with her mother. Her mom made us hamburgers. I ordered a movie for 53 cents, and yet she still married me today. We're still married. 22 years. All right, amen. Anybody can top 22 years? Yeah, I know. I don't want to hear it. I didn't get married till I was 40. Did you know that? Now everybody knows how old I am. All right. Where was I? Today, we're going to talk a little bit about marriage. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not married, and I'm not thinking about getting married. Well, listen, we're not just going to talk about marriage today. We're going to talk about life. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The illustration here pictures a team of livestock. Now, don't go home today and call your wife anything that sounds like livestock, okay? Don't do that. But the illustration here pictures a team of livestock hooked up to the same plow. 
God told Israel way back in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, you cannot have an ox and a donkey plowing together. They're two different kinds of animals, two different temperaments, two different instincts, two different species. It's not going to work. They're totally different at the core of their being. The same is true in human relationships. It's true in marriages. That's the most obvious context here. It's also true in friendships, and it's true in business partnerships. That does not mean that we shouldn't associate with unbelievers, right? Jesus told us to be salt and light in this world. How are you going to have any influence with people if you do not spend any time with unbelievers? You're not going to be able to influence their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ if you just stay away from them. No, we've got to be salt, we've got to be light, we've got to be representatives of Jesus Christ in this world. But unbelievers should not be the primary influencers in our lives. Because they have different goals, they have different priorities than you. That's one reason why belonging to a church is so important. I know you can watch great sermons on the internet and on TV. You can read great books, and we all should read the Bible, if nothing else. But it's not quite the same as being with other believers physically in a worship service. There's just something different about being present together. That's one reason why Sunday school is so important. Because it's an opportunity to not only be together and sing songs and listen to sermons and say hello during the greeting time, but you have an opportunity to sit across from other people and discuss what God's Word says. That's one reason why Awana is such a great thing. Is because it's an opportunity for your kids to connect with other kids, to hear other Bible teachers helping them to understand God's Word together. That's why this Master Life Fall Study is so vital to help you grow. It's six weeks of intense study of God's Word, an opportunity to meet together with other people to share God's Word and talk about that together. Verses 14 and following continue. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there? Between Christ and Belial, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Some of your priorities as a Christian are, to be honest, the same as a non-Christian. We all got to have food to eat, right? How many of you got a donut when you're out there? Some of you did. Okay, you don't have to have donuts necessarily. (laughs) Some of us may. But you've got to have food, right, to survive. You've got to have something to drink. You've got to have liquid or water. You've got to have clothing and, and shelter. And uh, 
you need love and you need encouragement and we need to be respected. And, and that's not just people that are Christians who need that. Everybody needs those things. However, there are some priorities that you have as a Christian that are different from the world. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a a need, you have a desire for God's Word. You have a need to be in worship with other people singing the praises of God. You need fellowship with other Christians that the world cannot give. You have a priority to know God, to love God, to serve God, to honor God with your life that a Christian has, but a non-Christian does not. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul asks five questions. They're all rhetorical in nature, meaning the answer is obvious. And they're all designed to show why a Christian should not be yoked together with a non-Christian. Question number one is in the middle of verse 14. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? And the obvious answer is nothing. People who seek to live righteously choose to live in right relationship with God, while wickedness travels in opposition to God. And righteous living leads to life, while wickedness leads to spiritual death. Question number two is at the end of verse 14. What fellowship can light have with darkness? Light and darkness are so diametrically opposed, they cannot even exist in the same space. Walk into a dark room and flip on a light switch, what happens? Immediately, light floods the room, correct? How many of you have ever been to Mammoth Cave, or maybe another cave, probably most of us. And if you're like me, when you go on that tour, you know something's coming. About halfway through the tour, what do they do? They turn off all the lights. It is so dark in that room, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. It's darker than it is in here now, okay? However, what happens when somebody in that room lights a candle? Immediately, you can see the candle all the way across the room, right? We didn't plan this this morning, but Brandon just turned the lights down. How many of you noticed that? And when he turned them back up, you noticed that, right? Because light dispels darkness. They're different from one another. Question number three is in verse 15. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? The word harmony in the Greek is the word that gives us symphony. A Christian marriage should be like a symphony. Two lives blended together in beautiful harmony. Don't you like that, Monique? But there is no harmony between Christ and the devil. The word Belial here in verse 15 is a name used for Satan, and it literally means worthless. Now, Paul is not saying unbelievers are worthless. On the contrary, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you're not a Christian today, that is really good news. God loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for you. And that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin, that you might have a relationship with him that lasts forever and ever. Isn't that good news? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, who had no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that good news? In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief, our enemy, the devil, has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's bad news, is it not? The enemy, the devil, wants to destroy you if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy this church and every church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But thank God Jesus didn't stop there. He said, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ is offering life today. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, he's offering life to you. Will you say yes to him? At the same time, know that the Bible also teaches that unbelievers either knowingly or unknowingly are followers of Satan. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. If the number one priority in your life is following Christ and your spouse is following the ways of the enemy, you got problems, do you not? For instance, let's say you're a Christian, you marry somebody who is not a Christian. What do you want to do on Sunday mornings? Get up and go to church. What do they want to do on Sunday mornings? Sleep. Anything but go to church on Sunday, right? You want to read the Bible with the family. They have no interest in reading the Bible with the family. You want to pray with your husband or with your wife. They have no interest in praying with you or with anybody else because their priorities are different than yours. That does not mean they're a bad person. They could be a great person. They might live a better moral life than you live. But they have a different priority then you have, and if you marry someone, if you're thinking about marrying somebody who's got totally different priorities than you spiritually, that can be an issue. Question number four is from the end of verse 15. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? The most important priority of a Christian's life is Christ. That's why we're called Christians. You may be thinking about marrying Joe, and Joe is a really good guy. But if Joe does not know and love and follow Jesus Christ, there's a problem. Your best friend Susie 
may be a really nice girl. But if she consistently wants you to go with her to the bar in order to meet guys, that's probably not a good best friend to have. Your business partner may be a very, very shrewd business leader. But if he or she is more interested in making a quick buck than being honest and helpful and kind, you might want to reconsider if you want God's favor on your life. The final question, question number five, is from verse 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? As a believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news? If you are a believer, God lives inside of you. Isn't that incredible? God has taken up his residence to live inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The God who knows everything. The God who can do anything. The God who can be everywhere at the same time. The God who loves you more than you have the capacity to love has chosen to take up his residence inside of you if you're a Christian. And that is wonderful news. Go back to Paul's opening statement in verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Deuteronomy 22.10 is the reference the Apostle Paul is using here. It says, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. This wouldn't work for at least two reasons. Reason number one, they are different species. An ox is much bigger and stronger than a donkey. They have different temperaments, and they work at different speeds. The ox would try to pull the donkey, and the donkey would struggle to keep up. One would be choked, and the other would be pinched. I'm told that oxen can't even stand the breath of donkeys and will pull away from them instead of going the direction they're supposed to go. Sound like any marriages that you know? Don't raise your hand for your own, okay? But sometimes significant problems can happen even in Christian marriages. Did you know that? How many married folks do I have in the room today? How many of you always think this marriage, this person, this situation today is so wonderful? I can't imagine any day with anybody could be any better than this. And hopefully you think that. But you know what? There are days, right? It's like, what in the world did I get myself into? Not me, but some of you other people out there, okay? But if you want your marriage to be a a strong marriage, you got to love one another unconditionally. Say unconditionally with me. Unconditionally. Through the good and the bad and the easy and the hard. When your wife does everything you want her to do and when she doesn't. When your wife is really kind and thoughtful and sweet and when he acts like a total jerk, you still love him. Okay? Doesn't mean you agree with one another, but you still choose to love that person. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. He starts with patience there. (laughs) That's a hard one, is it not? 
Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It does not keep a record of wrongs. I mean, you know, that's a hard one sometimes. But if we love one another unconditionally, it makes all the difference in the world. I like to look at marriage as a triangle, where a husband is at one side of the base of the triangle, and the wife is at the other side of the base of the triangle. And what happens as they're at the base of the triangle, and you have God, Jesus Christ, at the very tip, at the apex of the triangle, and the husband and wife are growing closer and closer to Jesus Christ. What happens? They get closer also to one another. Statistics vary, but one statistic that I read yesterday said husbands and wives who pray together daily, there is a 1 in 1,153 chance of them ending the marriage in divorce. Being on the same page spiritually, praying together, reading God's Word together, encouraging one another is so important. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind consider others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. How many of you old enough to remember James Dobson? James Dobson was probably the leading Christian psychologist, marriage advisor 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, for decades, really. He says this about those two verses, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says, in those two verses, there is more wisdom than all the marriage manuals in the world combined. Don't do anything out of selfishness, empty conceit. But in humility of mind, consider others more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. If we put that into practice in our marriages and really in all of our relationships, if we put that together in our churches, if we put that together with others, it makes all the difference in the world. Oxen and donkeys are two different species, and they were different spiritually. Now, that sounds really strange for two animals to be different spiritually. But according to Old Testament law, the ox was considered clean while the donkey was considered unclean. The Jewish people were very careful about not mixing that which was considered clean with that which is unclean. As a Christian, you've been set apart for God, for His purposes, for His plans, for His direction, for His blessing. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Workmanship can be translated there as poem or masterpiece. It's like you're God's work of art He's molding you into for His glory. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Okay. 
But what are we to separate ourselves from? Let me give you three possibilities. First of all, separate yourselves from the wrong people. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 says, bad company corrupts good morals. You may have the best of intentions, but if you hang around with people and they're the major influencers in your life, you may end up finding yourself in trouble. I need about five or six younger, strong guys, girls. Come up here right now to help me out with an illustration. Can you do that? Come on up here, young man. Come on up here. You want to help me? All right. Come on up here. How about you guys? Can you help me out over here? Anybody? Come on up. Guys, girls, come on up here. Anybody else want to help out? All right. I need about two more. About two more people. We are not volunteering today. I hope you volunteer better for Awanas, okay? Come on up here, Mr. Roberts. All right. I want you guys to grab my hands, grab my wrists, grab my arm. All right, grab hold of me anywhere. Go ahead, grab in there. Let's say that I decide I want to pull these people up on the stage, but they don't want to go. Who do you think is going to win this battle? Not me, right? Let's say they want to pull me down on the floor, but I don't want to go. Who's going to win that battle? They are, right? Thank you very much. Give them a hand, all right? Good job. Appreciate that. The same can be true in life. You may have the best intentions in the world, but if most of the people who are the major influencers in your life are going in a different direction than you're going, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Again, that does not mean we shouldn't be friends with non-Christians. That doesn't mean we rub shoulders we got to rub shoulders with non-Christians, right? we got to be influencers in this world, but they should not be the major influencers in our lives. Okay, separate ourselves from the wrong people and from the wrong places. A lot of compromising decisions are made when God-fearing people find themselves in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time. Be careful. You didn't intend to fall into that sin, You didn't intend to dishonor God there. You didn't intend to make that bad choice, but you just kind of found yourself in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time. And before you knew it, you found yourself in trouble. Be careful about the wrong places and the wrong people and the wrong practices. Bad decisions often lead to More bad decisions lead to more bad decisions, to more bad decisions. When you make a bad decision, confess your sin to God. Come back to God and get back on the path. The good news is this. 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103 says, if you give your sin to God, he takes it and removes it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how mightily you might think that you failed. There is forgiveness in Christ. However, know this, it would always be better, less painful to not go down that road to begin with. 
In verse 17, God continues, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. You may be thinking, well, I thought we were saved by grace. I thought this salvation thing was a gift from God. And it is, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift from God. But the very next verse in that chapter, Ephesians 2, verse 10, says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God is calling you to become increasingly conformed into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I believe. It says that we all with unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. God wants to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ for your good and for His glory. Question. Have I got any parents in the room today? How many of you love your kids? All right, hopefully the same hands are up, right? Some of you think, well, it depends on the day, right? But you love your kids, right? The good and the bad, when they make mistakes, you still love them, right? How many of you remember when you were potty training your kids? Remember that? And, you know, they're two, three, four, whatever years old, and they finally get it. What do you do? You celebrate, right? Some of you, how many of you did the potty dance? Yeah. How many of you posted on Facebook? <laughs> Everybody poopoo on everything on Facebook these days. But let's suppose that you had a child who was perfectly normal and very intelligent in, in every way, but they're 17 years old and they've never been potty trained. How many of you think that might be a problem? They've got a driver's license. They're about to graduate from high school, but they're still not potty trained. That would be a problem, would it not? Why? You want your kids to grow up. One reason not to embarrass you, but also not to embarrass themselves, right? God wants us as Christians to to grow up, to become more mature. God does not want people to be Christians for 10 or 20 or 40 or 60 years and still be in diapers spiritually, right? He wants us to grow up, to mature in Him. That's why God's Word is so important. That's why we try to do what we do with Awanas. That's why we do what we do with Master Life and Sunday School and all the things we do. That's why we preach what we preach in sermons because we want to help you to, to grow up, to mature. Listen. You're a child of God, if you're a Christian. You're a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Suppose you are a king or a queen, and you got a 17-year-old prince or princess, and they're not potty trained yet. This is really embarrassing, right? Let's suppose they're 25 years old, and they got horrible table manners. I'm not talking about bad manners like some of us guys have. I'm talking about when the mashed potatoes are passed around the table, they don't dip it out with a spoon. They put both hands in the mashed potatoes, and they lift it up to their mouth, and they begin to eat it. 
little embarrassing, right? You want your kids to grow up, right? God wants us to grow up as well for His glory. So we can be His witnesses in this world. So we can impact the world with the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. So God can use us as a reason for people to want to know Christ and want to come to church rather than people using us for an excuse not to. He's calling us to follow him as his sons and daughters, as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? You with me today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Father, I pray that you would work in this room this morning. I don't know every person's name in this room. I don't know everyone's situation. But you not only know their name and their situation, you know how many hairs they have on their head. You know everything about us. And so, Father, today I pray for the person who's maybe never nailed it down, that they know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And today, that might be one of you. Maybe you came to church today, perhaps not even sure why you're here. Or maybe you've been to church a thousand times, but you've never nailed it down. What does it mean? to give my life to Jesus Christ. He's calling you today to give your life to Him. You may ask, well, how do I do that? Well, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So He's calling you today to confess Him as your Lord. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Do you believe that in your heart? And you're willing to confess him with your mouth that he's your Lord. If you're willing to do that, he's willing to save you. If you're willing to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, he's willing to give you a home with him forever in heaven. Some of you, in order to nail that down, might want to pray a simple prayer like this. The words are not magic. The prayer is not. But it's your way of saying to God, I give my life to you. Repeat after me something like this. Dear God, thank you that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead and that you're coming back again. I want to give my life to you and follow you. If you prayed a prayer like that, or if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ for the first time this morning, would you slip up your hand real quickly? Just slip up your hand. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God's calling you to follow him. The next step would be to follow him in believer's baptism.
And so I encourage you to do that. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation hymn. And I would ask you, to the glory of God, to come forward and shake my hand. I'll know why you're here. And we'll talk about being baptized soon. For somebody else, you know Christ and you're a follower of Jesus. But if you're really honest, maybe you're not following him the way that he's called you to follow him. Let me encourage you. Follow him. Flat out, full bore with every fiber of your being. He deserves it. And to be honest, though it's not always the easiest way to live, it's the best way to live. For somebody else, it might be, God's leading me to be part of this church. I know Christ. I want to be part of this church. Well, in just about 30 seconds, we're all going to stand up and we're going to sing a song. And if you're willing to follow through publicly with what I've just asked, then that's your chance to come forward during this song. I suggest do the first or second verse because you never know how many we might sing. Respond quickly as God leads you. Father, move in this invitation. Help us to say yes to the Holy Spirit of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. As we stand and sing together, you respond as God leads you.